0: You can go ahead and turn to James chapter four. You may be thinking, but this is the Sunday before Christmas. Aren't you going to preach something specifically out of like Luke or something like that? And the answer is no, we're not. Uh, We thought about it this year. Like for the last few years, we've done you know an Advent series where we really specifically kind of get get ourselves prepared. And this year, we just really felt like. James is where God is calling us to be teaching the church right now. James is something that's important for us as a church. And so we're just going to continue on through uh, our study of the book of James this morning. Uh, I think there will still be a few things in here that I, I promise I'm not trying to force Christmas into this, but I really do think there are a few things that are applicable to um, this time of year and things that we can be reminded of um, because, because James this this week, he's going to kind of start, because again, we've talked about how James is a letter, and he kind of starts establishing these certain ideas, and then he starts bringing them back up and saying, here's a bit more specific application for them, or something to that effect. Uh, and, then, and then what we're going to see this week, he's going to kind of say, here's kind of what it looks like when some of these things are going wrong, and here's some of the things that you'll see present, and now I'm going to start explaining what's going on inside of you, when, when the Christian life doesn't seem to be working properly, when everything seems to be kind of falling apart, whenever... You're facing frustration or trials or, or disunity within the body of Christ. Um, so we're going we're to be looking at that. I'm going to go ahead and read James chapter 4. We're going to read 1 through 10. Uh, and again, if you were thinking, I'm going to go to church on Sunday before Christmas, I'm going to get a happy, cheery Christmas sermon. Um, that's not these verses. So just full disclaimer, we're just going to keep going. This is, this, is, this is good. This is the word of God. And we're going to read James 4, 1 through 10. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions." Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. you got to love that verse 9 right after we sing joy to the world, right? Joy to the world. Let your joy be turned to mourning. Your joy to gloom. Yeah. Okay, so a couple things right off as we're reading this. Um, this description of this war that is going on within us I don't think should be lost on us when you think of this time of year and how divided our attention can become between the things of God and the things that society says we should be chasing after this time of year, right? Consumerism is at an all-time high this time of year. Why? Because... All of the toy advertisements are coming out, all of the things that you should buy, all the things that you should want, all the TV deals, I'm not going to lie, we got a new TV. Like, I'm not, not saying you shouldn't buy a new TV when there's a good deal on a new TV. But that being said, it's so easy for our attention to become divided this time of year. There is so much, like, busyness around us calling us back to the world, and it's very easy for us as the church, to get lost in which identity am I identifying with? Who is it that I'm going to be? Am I going to only be focused on the consumerism and the gift-giving and the gift-getting and, the, and the, that sort of thing? Or, or am I going to remind myself of the, the bigger picture, the things of God, this sort of thing that, that James is reminding us of? See, because here's the thing. Where have we been, what have we been talking about for the last few weeks? He's been talking about taming the tongue, speaking well, not, not being quick to anger and all of this. And what he's saying is when you start misapplying all of those things and you start losing sight of who you're supposed to be, who you are called to be as the body of Christ, what happens? You start having these quarrels and fights among you. You start becoming, you know, disconnected from the rest of the body of Christ. And maybe that's because you're off chasing other things outside of what you should have your attention focused on. Maybe you've lost sight of what should be your greatest love, which should be Jesus, the church, the things he's called you to, the family that he has added us to. Because, because there's a war, what he's saying is there's a war going on within the church between people who have a war going on inside of themselves. Because once we're saved, I prayed about it just a second, once we're saved, we are given a new identity. We are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer dead in our trespasses, Right? That, that, that identity is gone. Those, those things where we where we are connected intimately with the world and we're chasing after the things of the world and we're wanting, that, that identity is taken away. We're given a new life. We're given a new identity. We're given a new purpose, new set of passions. It's kind of like that, you know, again, I'm gonna tie it back to this time of year. It's like having that realization, oh man, it's not just about getting presents on Christmas, right? We always say it, it's, Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Like, has everybody got their sweater that says that? But we, we say that in kind of a superficial way. Jesus is the reason for the season. Oh, man, you got me this. That's awesome. And I'm, not, I'm the worst at that, too. I am the worst at that. But, but there's like two sides of us that are, that are at war, and it's, and it's this idea of who is winning, and, and when this war is happening, and you have some who are, who, are, who are feeling connected closely to God, and those who are feeling disjointed and disconnected from God, it's not a surprise that what James is describing here is happening. What causes quarrels? What causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So, so I think, because, because there's so much busyness this time of year, And and, and all of the jokes always tend to get made. Oh, it's time to, it's it's Thanksgiving, we're going to go get together with the family and we're going to yell at each other about politics or whatever it may be, whatever it is that your family may tend to disagree with. Maybe you're going to debate movies, maybe you're going to debate debate TV shows, maybe you're going to debate who made the mashed potatoes correctly or incorrectly, I don't know. Whatever it's going to be, there's going to be some sort, like that we have this mentality of we come together and then there's frustration. Maybe that's not true in your family. I'm sure all of us, I mean, I was grumpy this morning. Like we all have grumpy times. Yeah, my whole family's not a guess. He was very grumpy this morning. I'm great now. I've had some Diet Mountain Dew. We're good to go. But but this it should, what, what, what James is saying is it shouldn't be surprising when you come together and you are disconnected if within you this struggle between am I following Christ or am I following the things of the world? Which identity is pulling at me the hardest and which one am I continuing to follow? And he's saying you're even praying about things but your prayers aren't being answered. You're asking and you're not receiving the things you're asking for. And you may be saying, but didn't James just a few chapters ago, say, if any of you ask, at, lacks wisdom, ask and God will give. Like, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be... Like, all of these things. Doesn't, doesn't Scripture say if we ask for these things, God will give them to us? Yes. But what James says is, you are asking wrongly. You ask and do not receive because you receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. The things you're asking for, you're asking out of that desire for the old spirit, the old you, the old identity that was apart from Christ. Who you, who you were, that, that mentality of I want this. That, and, and, and I'm just going to continue to kind of parallel this metaphor because we're looking at Christmas. This, this, this week. It's coming up. So it's like that old mentality of Christmas is about people giving me things and me getting new things to Christmas is about this great gift that God sent for us so that we could be saved. Old me, new me. And you're asking for things. God, I hope that this is the year that when I wake up on Christmas, there's a new Lexus in the driveway with one of those giant bows on top of it. Who does that? Right? That's what I'm praying for. And then you get out there on Christmas morning, no Lexus, not even a Pinto, (laughs) right? Like nothing, right? And so then you say, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Therefore, I'm mad at God. Therefore, God isn't real. Whatever it may be. But he's saying, you're asking for the wrong things. You're asking in the wrong way. The things you pray about that are according to my will, the things that I say I want to give you, those things that you pray for, those are the things that God is going to 100% answer yes. There are things that God has said, if you pray for this, the answer is yes. If you don't know something, if you lack wisdom, which to realize that you lack wisdom means that you have to realize you don't have all the answers, which takes humility, which James talks about and we're going to come back to in just a second, right? But if any of you lacks wisdom, ask God. Come home and say, I don't have the right answers for how to handle a situation. God says, 100% yes. I can give wisdom on that. We don't get to just demand things selfishly because we want certain things. We don't get to say, I really want that Lexus. Or I really want this. Or I really want that. And if I don't get it, I'm going to stomp my feet and be pouty. That would cause quarrels within us, right? makes makes it not too so surprising. Well, I didn't get the thing I wanted, therefore I'm grumpy. Therefore, the person who gave me things is now grumpy with me because they didn't like the things. They Do you see how all of this tends to work together when we are at war? When that war within ourselves, that separation between who we were and who we are, are fighting. Because we've been called out of this world. We've been called into a new family. We've been given a new set of passions, a new set of desires. Because here's the thing. If we we rightly understand who God is and what God wants for us and what God's will is, we can have confidence that He will give us the things we ask for. This is going to be on the screen. 1 John 5, 14-15 says... And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. That is the kind of confidence that comes from somebody who is not at war with what they should be passionately desiring. I know what I want. I want the will of God. What is the will of God? I want him to accomplish that. God says, yes, yes. This thing will make me happy. I want it. God says, no, you don't need that. That's the difference in what we're talking about here. And so then James cautions us. So so the first thing he says is, you see all these quarrels and you see all these unanswered prayers. It's because you're praying for the wrong things. But he says, you're divided within yourself because you want the wrong things. Because, Because becoming too close to the world is essentially having an affair against God. And this is where it gets really, just, just really easy for me to preach through. Like this, I was like, wow, this is going to come up right before Christmas. This is going to be a fun set of verses to talk about. But, but here's the thing. He says, he calls them in verse 4, You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So there are several ways that we can take this and and look at our lives, Um, and I think it's an important conversation for us to have, because because again, we we may think, oh, I like this thing. I want to go consume this thing. It's not hurting me, so this thing is acceptable, but if that thing is taking all of my attention away from the things of God, if that thing is taking my attention away from, from being close to the church, the body of Christ, if that thing is actually leading me towards sin. That thing is bad for me, and that thing is actually dividing my relationship with God and putting me at odds with Him. And if, and if I desire the things of the world more than I desire God Himself, then that's just evidence that my heart really isn't after Him, and I'm still in love with the world. Here's the thing. There, there, there are lots of areas that we can apply this. Personal relationships, marriage, Absolutely. God God uses a relationship in Hosea chapter one to kind of make a point about what chasing after sinful desires looks like to him. Like when we go after the thing, like when because he's talking about Israel, and when Israel is chasing after all these other false gods and and idols and all of these different things that all the nations around them are after, he says, i'm he, as to give an example of how it is that it feels to him. He says to Hosea in Hosea chapter 1, this is verse one, chapter 1 verse 2, he says, when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take for yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. And so what God is trying to say is the way that my people are treating me and the way that the people are chasing after things that are not what I want for them, that are not the good things that I have called them to. The, th- the, the so many things that we can get distracted by, the so many different things that can take our attention away from our families or the church or, or the good things that God has for us is essentially us cheating on our relationship with God. And, 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 and what God is... What God is cautioning us through James is to not, not become too comfortable being too friendly with the world. Not, not to just dabble a little bit more than maybe we should, because, because the closer we get to the world is actually putting a divider between us and our relationship with God. And this can happen in relationships through lots of things um, just, just having close relationships with people that are not our spouse. Uh, That can happen through texting with them, or that can happen through uh, having just inside jokes with somebody who you're not in a relationship with. This can happen through so many different things. Um, But I think we need to be aware of, because I want to apply this practically to our lives as well. I don't want this just to be thinking, how does this affect Our relationship with God, but but we practice this in our relationships with our spouse or with our family or anything. And and, and anything that begins to pull your attention away. Anytime you can you find um, intimate community, intimate connection with somebody in an inappropriate way that is pulling your attention away, pulling your focus away from something that God has that is good for you. This is not too different from why God, and and we read Deuteronomy several months ago on Sunday nights, this is why God um, specifically said to Israel when he was sending them into the land that he had promised them, into the land of Canaan, saying, this is going to be your place, I'm calling you out, you're going to be my people, I'm going to be your God. He gave them a very specific set of instructions. This is Deuteronomy chapter 7, I'm going to read 1 through 6. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, and clears away many nations before you, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, seven nations more numerous and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God gives them over to you and you defeat them, then you must devote them to complete destruction. You shall make no covenant with them and show no mercy to them. You shall not intermarry with them, giving your daughters to their sons or taking their daughters for your sons, for they would turn Away, your sons, from following me to serve other gods. Then the anger of the Lord would be kindled against you, and he would destroy you quickly. But thus shall you deal with them. You shall break down their altars, and dash to pieces their pillars, and chop down their ashram, and burn their carved images with fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. That is what God calls us to when he calls us to be his people. And right before we go any further, I want to say, this does not mean that we are not still meant to go and take the gospel to the world. His concern for his people was, If you begin to mix your culture with the culture of the people that are here in this land that I am giving to you, your heart will be turned away. If you are are too friendly, if you are friends with the world around you, this is going to be dangerous for you. You will not remain holy and then I will have to punish you, which we all know is exactly what happens because they did not follow through on this command that God had called them to. And I think that last verse is so important. For you are people holy to the Lord your God. That calling applies to the church as well. This doesn't mean we're we're called to go out into the world and kill everybody and devote them to destruction so that only we are the ones that are left. That's that's not what we're saying here. (laughs) That would be a really weird Christmas sermon as we all go out with our torches and pitchforks and just we wouldn't last very long. We're We're a scrappy bunch, but man, I I wouldn't do so well. Moving on, moving on. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you, Nick. Nick is my conscience this morning. What he's saying is, if you don't if you don't do whatever it takes to make sure that anything that would pull your heart away from God is eliminated from your life, then your heart will be pulled away toward other things of this world. That that does not mean that we do not take the gospel other places. That does not mean that we do not still exist within this society that God has placed us. What he does mean is there is a difference between existing within the world and becoming best buds and chummy with the world, and accepting and loving and participating fully in all of the things that the world has to offer, because that's what's going to pull our attention away from God. That's what's going to pull us towards sinfulness, and that's going to pull us away from the holiness that God has called us to. It's a difference between existing near and actually having a passion for the things of the world. Uh, 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life, is not from the Father, but from the world. Again, it's so easy for us to become distracted by the things of the world, especially at a time when we're all out looking for deals so we can buy things and give things and whatever it may be. Like, it is so there and it doesn't leave like especially in in our American culture like we are so hit with consumerism and you need this and you need this and you deserve this and you've earned this and man you should have this and your life should feel this way and if you don't have this well it's just because you haven't done this thing you haven't tried you know you should do whatever it is that makes you feel good that makes you feel like and it distracts us it takes us away that is a challenging phrase. If anyone loves the world, and again, this isn't the kind of love that leads to passionate sympathy for and desiring that somebody in the world be saved and brought out of the world. That is a different kind of love. This is the kind of love that says, that's mine. I want it. Do you see the difference there? Do you see the difference in what we're saying? Like, like I'm not saying you can't love someone who is unsaved and desire that they be redeemed but I am saying that you should not love somebody who is not your spouse and desire to have them in that same way if you have a spouse. Two different things. You see the difference? That's what we're talking about. And that's the way God sees it as well. If your heart is after these things because you desire them, because you love them, because you want them to be a part of your life, that's sin. That's wrong. And that's what's at war within us is is what is the thing that we love more? Do we we love the things of God pursuing the passionate things that God has given to us or do we love the world that we were called out of? This is not just about eliminating ourselves from society altogether and going and being hermits in caves and saying we're just going to sit here and wait till Jesus comes back and stay safe and not be around the world. It's saying To avoid, like, intimate connection with the things of the world. To protect ourselves, to guard ourselves against that. So, a couple of practical things that we can do as the church, as believers, to guard ourselves against having our hearts taken away. I'm going to read a passage from 1 Corinthians 7, 5, which is talking about a relationship like a physical relationship between a husband and a wife. But we're going to apply this to multiple areas of our lives. So 1 Corinthians 7, 5 says, Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. What Paul is, is, is urging the church here is to say, take the good things of God that he has given you, and fill your life with them so that you will not be tempted to go outside to find things that are pleasurable for you. Take the things that God has offered to you, find joy in those, and, and, and continue to bombard yourself with these things that bring joy to you that are the things of God, that God has given to us that are good, that are things for us to, to hold on to and desire. Fill yourself with that. So we, had, we were having a conversation on Wednesday night um, uh, we've been watching some different videos and then having some discussions uh, about whatever the video is. It's like usually like a two to five minute video, just something to kind of spark some discussion. And this week we were talking about uh, just the idea, the concept of joy as a command of God that that God says in Philippians: "Rejoice in the Lord always." I'll say it again: Rejoice. Like that's a command for the church to be joyful. Um, and so we were we were talking about how to apply that sort of thing, and 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 it really we were trying to figure out, how do we grow in this? How do we get better at being joyful as a people when so much that goes on around us is sad or so much that goes on around us is, is frustrating or painful? Um, how do we do that? And we said, we have to continue to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel, the truth of what Jesus has done. And we have to continually... Be building one another up, reminding each other of how God has been working in our lives and and saying, I have seen Jesus do this through you. I've seen you accomplish this thing that you might not have thought originally possible, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, he's changed you in this way. And we need to be encouraging and filling each other up with all these things that we can be joyful about. And it's that same concept that we're talking about here. Putting, putting things that are true, that are good, that fill us with joy, or things that, that pull us toward pursuit of God, putting those things in our lives as much as we can. That can be being in the Word of God. That can be being with the body of Christ. That can be participating in things with your family that God says, these are good, spend time together and rejoice in me. It could be having a meal together. Like All of these things that we do, God has given to us for his glory, and we should should see those things as opportunities to be reminded of what it is that God has done. Because when we see what God has done, when we see what he has accomplished, when we see what he desires to do through his people, when we see the A-B comparison of what our life was prior to God and what our life is after we have been saved, when we can see that contrast, it becomes no contest as to, which side of the war within us we should want to see win. Right? There's there's no choice in this. There's only pursuit of God. So we should fill ourselves with good things that keep our focus on the things of God. The last thing that James gives us that we should do to to see this war within us begin to, to end is to repent when we realize we have failed in this area, right? Verse 6 in chapter 4. But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Pride is a demonstration of us saying we can handle both things, is essentially what James is getting at. When he's saying, let your, let your joy turn into gloom. Let your laughter turn into mourning. What he's saying is, when, when you're confronted with the fact that this war is going on within you and your desires are to continue to love the things of the world, don't just be cavalier about that. Don't just be, oh, it is what it is. I can like those things and I can still chase after God. Because he's saying that's not the case. When you realize that this is present within you, feel it. Repent of it. Be humbled and admit that... I still have desires for the things of the world. I'm not just saying it to you. I'm saying this to me as well. Repentance, true repentance requires humility. We need to be humbled by our need for God. We need to be saddened by the presence of sin within our lives. Because, because as we do that, we don't, we don't laugh about, yeah, I know, I did that thing. That was so funny that I did that. No, we shouldn't take these things lightly. James is very serious about this, right? Think about the language that he's been using. He called us adulterous people who love the things of the world and yet claim that we pursue God. We need to be humbled and let go of our self-reliance to think that we can, and, and this this seems to be the thing if if you have ever tried to maintain some sort of sin privately just for yourself this is the one thing that you're going to hold on to with the world but isn't going to affect your life with the church isn't going to affect your family you think oh i got this i can i'll just this is the one sin that i'm not ready to let go of yet but nobody really knows it doesn't really affect anybody else this is this is just a my a me thing it's not going you're going through life proudly saying i can manage this I can take care of this on my own. I can handle this. And what, what true repentance looks like is humbling ourselves to the point and saying, I can't handle this because, because elsewhere in Scripture it says, be sure your sin will find you. Like you're, this, is gonna, this isn't something that you can just keep a hold of. If anything, God knows. He sees everything and so you're not hiding it from him, which means he knows right where your heart is, which means no matter what you think you can maintain on the outside, the war is still going on within you. And it's going to take a humbling of yourself to admit, I can't manage my, this load all on my own. I can't make this work on my own. I can't, I, can't, I can't convince myself to do the right thing. It's only going to take reliance on God to pull me out of this. We cannot fix this in ourselves. Verse 6, but he gives more grace. And that's why we celebrate Jesus' birth. That's why we celebrate this time of year, because he gave us grace. In sending his son here, he was saying, I know that there is nothing that they can do to fix this. I'm going to fix this. We've, been, we've said this so many times here at CRC. We've said this so many times from, from Genesis 3.15, from the very beginning, when God says, I am going to fix this sin thing. All the way up until what we celebrate this week in three days, that he, said, that he sent the one who was going to fix it would call us out of the darkness and into this marvelous light. It's a demonstration, and it should be a great reminder to us that we can't manage this load on our own. We are in desperate need of God to grow us and change us. And so, and so in just a second, as I pray, I want you to, I want you to look inside yourself and ask, Where are you at war within yourself? What are the things of the world that are still pulling you away from the things of God? Where are you still distracted? What are the things that you think you have been able to manage up until this point that you need to humble yourself and admit, I can't fix this in myself. I need the grace of God to come in and help me. And maybe you're going to need to talk to somebody about this. Maybe you're going to need to ask somebody to pray with you about this. Maybe you're going to need to confess some sin to someone else that you have committed a sin against. Whatever that may be, Uh, my prayer this morning is is that as we see this, we can can look inside ourselves and see what it is that is at war within us and, and turn that over to God who is filled with grace and who is able to provide the solution, the fix for these things that we are facing within us.